0: We're uh, really on the home stretch here of our uh, study on James. And uh, if you've been kind of with us, you notice that in James chapter 5, 4, they really talking a lot about warnings. In fact, warnings, warnings, warnings everywhere. Almost feels like a, uh, a parent with a little child, you know, when they start moving from crawling to walking and they get a little higher, they can start reaching everything and you're, you're constantly telling them, don't touch, don't touch, don't touch, be careful, be careful, be careful. J- James has kind of been doing that with his audience here. They've been talking about worldliness, uh, talking about uh, boasting about our plans or our future and what we're going to do and... Even last week we talked about uh, just the dangers of, of rich, uh, richness uh, and uh, the power uh, that can corrupt when you have money as your focus and so the, the dangers of all those things. Uh, James really getting into kind of this tension of just living life. And, and sometimes you can feel that way, even as a, a Christian, we can feel uh, it's all about do this and don't do that, and, and, and all our focus is kind of on what we're doing outwardly, and James now is going to pull us back into kind of giving us a focus, something that we can look towards in the midst of the tension that we're living. The fact is, he starts out, if you have your Bibles in James chapter 5, verse 7, by simply saying, "'Be patient, therefore, brothers.'" Until the coming of the Lord. Now, the word therefore is a great word in Scripture. Every time you see that word, you recognize that there was truth shared before, and now there's some action shared afterwards. So, when you see the truth of of therefore, he's saying these warnings warning, 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 but therefore, here's what I want you to do. What he tells us simply to do is to be patient. I know that's not a favorite topic for us, we don't really like to be patient. Nobody does. We we want instant fryers. We want microwave meals. We want fast food. We want the fastest internet. We want better technology. We want to speed everything up and move it quicker so that we can get on with what we want to do. Being patient isn't really one of those cool things to do yet. (laughs) This is exactly what James is instructing in the midst of the tension that we live in and all the dangers around us is to be patient because it's very easy to lose perspective. It's very easy to lose perspective. Matters from moment to moment, day to day, we can get caught up in the wrong things and we can lose that perspective even in good times and in bad times. Now when we read James's letter, we've got to recognize his audience was going through a lot of suffering. They were being persecuted, they were being scattered, <clears throat> they were being threatened with their home uh, homes and their livelihood, their work. They were facing something that we don't face in this culture. I know you can have some hard times. I know there can be some levels of persecution. But the persecution that James was dealing with was legitimately hard, difficult times. It would not be fair to even compare it to what we live today. Yet the truth is still the same. We can still struggle in good times and we can lose patience in good times. Here's how it looks. In in suffering, we're looking for immediate answers. And that's what James is going to be talking about here more specifically about being patient. Yet, however, in in, kind of when you're not in that suffering or you're living in comfortable times, we can get so comfortable with these things, we want these things and we want to stay in this world as long as we possibly can. And so when James talks about be patient for the Lord is coming, that part of it deals with all of us. And so whether you feel like you're in good times or you feel like you're in bad times, you're in comfort or in suffering, the, the same thing is true, is we have to be patient because our focus needs to be on this good news that Jesus is coming. Now, for some of us, it doesn't sound like good news. Some of us feel like, man, that doesn't always sound like good news that Jesus is coming. Yet, this is what James is implying when he talks about good news that Jesus is coming. Because as Jesus comes and we focus towards that, we understand what matters. And we hopefully can understand also what doesn't matter. See, that's what Satan loves to do. He loves to switch those things around. He loves to get our focus on the things that don't matter and lose sight of what does matter. That's why uh, Peter was the one that called him like a roaring lion. Because he gives us that illusion of something that is real, but it's not. And that illusion of him like a roaring lion gets us to focus on things that don't matter. And we think that in that things that don't matter, <coughs> then that's where we think our life is. That's where we think our hope is. That's when we think our identity is. And what James is saying is, no, be patient. He's going to use a word later on called steadfast. Be steadfast and know that the Lord is coming. Now, when James talks about this Lord is coming, again, it's, a, it's, a firm, it's a, an encouragement term. It's something we should, we should look forward to. Even though James was written around 50, 60 AD, somewhere roughly around there, they were looking for Jesus coming just as much as the church fathers, just as much all through church, just as much as your grandparents or parents, if they knew who Jesus was, just as much as your kids. Until he actually comes, we should be looking forward to him returning. This is something positive, something that should put our focus and our attention towards. This is something that actually matters. It's an antidote for both suffering and prosperity. In the suffering, we realize we're not alone, that Jesus is coming. In our prosperity, we realize that this life is not our home and that Jesus is coming. Now again, when we say Jesus is coming, we got to recognize nobody knows the day or the time. Anyone that told you he's going to come in 1987, September, whatever, he didn't come. Anyone who's going to say he's going to come at a certain date, he's not going to come at that time. We don't know. We do know he is to come. We do know that the, the world is going to be, there's going to be groanings of him coming. We know there's going to be the thoughts of wars and famines and earthquakes. And we've seen that all throughout history. We can see that happening, but we don't know exactly when it's going to happen. It's going to come like a thief in the night. And so when J- the New Testament uses this word of Jesus coming, there's three words that are used in that. And I love that because there's different times in our lives we need kind of different aspects of Jesus coming to, to be reminded of. And so the first two you would see up there, it's kind of this idea, uh, the first one of him, manifestation of Christ. Uh, the, the next one is kind of showing his power and his glory. But the word used here in James is used for him physically coming alongside of us. And again, you can see how that is a comfort to those who are in suffering. To know that Jesus is coming alongside of us. And he's going to come again. It's just that picture again of just realizing you are not alone. You're not, you're not in this by yourself. The world's powers and the enemies that forces and everything else that's around us. They are not the ones that are, are, are going to dictate how this thing goes. It is going to be Jesus. And his coming alongside of us is that comfort. And as he comes alongside of us, it reminds us again, James says, do not lose patience. You see, although it's not happening in the moment, we don't lose patience. James doubles down on this by giving us now an example (coughs) of how not to lose patience. Starting in verse 7 again, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Being patient about it. Until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James uses this illustration of a farmer. And what's so great about this picture of a farmer is that they are subject to the harvest schedule. They can't rush ahead of that. In fact, what's fascinating to find as we kind of move more towards kind of this bottom line profit at all means. And as you see, even in the farming industry, as they try to speed things up, make their animals bigger, uh, shoot them with all this different stuff and they get bigger and they can sell more meat, make more profit. And then you look back and you say, well, wait a second. Maybe that's not good that we're eating what they're giving to them. Okay. We're finding all that out to to, to be some truth. There's an actual process that the harvest plays out. And the farmer can't speed up that process. The farmer in this instance, whether it's the early rains or the late rains, (coughs) they are subject to that and they just have to surrender to that. And trust it. And to believe that it's going to work out as it always has. Or work out as it's supposed to do that. And so here we are, as James says, what are we to do? Well, we are, are, are not in control of the Lord's coming. We are, 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 it's not according to our timetable, and so while you're living in this life, even if suffering is coming, even if persecution is coming, or you're just enjoying all the fruits and the the luxury of life, and you're just kind of living in this luxury, you should look and say, this is not my home, the Lord is coming, and I will be steadfast and patient while I wait. Again, it's not easy. Nobody likes to sit in a waiting room. Nobody likes to wait for something to happen. And yet, this is what James doubles down on and he reminds us. And then he warns us in the midst of the waiting, be careful that you don't start grumbling. I don't know if you ever had the experience with this before we had all the <coughs> devices and technologies. But just to take a road trip with your siblings. Uh, I'm the youngest of four, and and I remember one time when we were living in New Hampshire, taking a road trip down to Disney. It was like 29 miles. Uh, We were in one of those old station wagons where the backs look backwards, and I rode 29 miles looking backwards the entire time because I was the youngest. Uh, And you know, just there's some point in that road trip that that, that the the youngest is going to start poking the older one. Or a or, 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 uh, sister's going to start making an annoying noise that's going to bother the brother. And as soon as that happens, all of a sudden the, the bickering and the complaining and, and all of a sudden this is going to start happening. And, 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 and either dad's going to turn around and say, knock it off or I'm going to turn this vehicle around. Or, or they're going to take a, a, a stop, a rest stop. Because something's got to change because grumbling happens when we lose patience. And we start complaining and bickering. And James is saying, be careful that, that, that amongst you brothers, as amongst the, the church, we don't get into this grumbling and this complaining because it matters how we treat one another. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. He says, let us not consider, or let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, But encourage one another all the more as you see the day draw near. That day actually refers to what Jesus said, the day is going to come when the love grows cold and when family turns on family, when uh, uh, just people are, are just wicked and mean and divisive and hatred towards one another. When that day comes, the the church should continue to meet together so that we can stir one another up to love and good deeds. We could be an encouragement to one another and not be complaining and grumbling. In fact, when when you think about this and and you process this, James reminds us that Jesus is coming and not only is he going to come alongside us, but he's also going to come along as a judge. And so this is a little bit of that other reminder of who Jesus is. Uh, in verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers so you may not be judged because the judge is standing at the door. James is saying treating one another and, and not grumbling and complaining because right behind the door is the judge that's going to judge you for, for, for what you're doing. And so we got to be careful that in our patience and steadfastness, as we wait for the harvest rains to come, we don't just take this time and just choose to, to treat each other miserably. And, and, and with hatred and with divisiveness and complaining and grumbling that comes along with that. In fact, James is telling us <coughs> that we have to be careful about how we live because not only has Jesus come alongside us, but he's also a judge, and he's standing at the door. He tells us let the prophets and Job be an example to us. So in verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke to the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. There's that word steadfast. It's simply to, to, to stand fast in the midst of some kind of circumstance, some kind of hardship, to, to be patient, to be steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James is telling us that if we need some kind of example of what I'm telling you to do, let the prophets and Job be that example. Now again, the prophets, what did they do? They spoke the name of the Lord or they spoke the will of the Lord to the people. And oftentimes the prophets were rejected. Oftentimes the prophets were mistreated. Oftentimes the prophets were saying things in opposition of what the people wanted to hear, and, and, and it caused for them to deal with persecution and hardship. And yet they remained steadfast in that. See, James was encouraged by the way that they didn't lose heart. They were patient and steadfast to, to do what God has called them to do. You know lately I, I, I've just been thinking more about that idea of calling and I'm not talking about just calling so oftentimes we think of prophets, we think of preachers or missionaries we use it from a super spiritual perspective but the reality is we're all called to certain things. In fact if you are, are married here you're called to, to be a spouse according to what God has deemed a, a, a spouse should be, male or female. If you are a parent, you've been called to be a, a parent and, and raise your kids a, a certain way. It, it, even if you, you just aren't married or, or you don't have kids, you just go to work, you've been called to be salt and light in this world and you are called to, to show compassion and care to, to those around us. We are all called to so many things because God has placed us in this life, in this world for a purpose and for a reason. And in all those different callings... It doesn't matter the circumstances of what's happening around you. You are to live out that calling. Again, we, we know this. If, if you're married, you don't just wake up in the morning and say, well, uh, because you've been mean to me, I'm not called to love you today. Now, we might want to do that. That might be what our flesh desires to do. I'm going to mistreat you because you mistreat me. But when we really look at a covenant marriage, we recognize and say, I am called to do this. Because of who God is and Jesus has placed on my life, not because the other person deserves it. Or think of your kids. How often do you look at them and say, well, sorry, I'm not going to feed you today because you didn't do what I asked you to do yesterday. Again, we might want to do something like that. But that's not this. And so James is saying, now look at the prophets. In their moment, they were being mistreated. You would have never identified that in that moment as God being what? Merciful and good to them? Compassionate? Yet when we see the entire entity of their lives. And we see even in, in Hebrews chapter 11 some of the hall of fame uh, uh, statements of some of these prophets. Uh, they were recognized and honored for their steadfast and faithfulness in difficult times. And they were what James says were blessed. Blessed. Now, that word blessed is interesting. It's not happy. Okay, happy is subjective. Okay, a five-year-old sitting in a mud puddle might be really happy. You sitting in a mud puddle are probably not going to be very happy. It's subjective. But God says that these prophets and Job were blessed because of their steadfastness, their patience. In fact, when you think about this, it's a smile that God has for such a life. And the good news is it's not based on your performance. It's not based upon whether or not, again, you attended church or did some religious activity. It's just the fact that you trusted that God was in it, surrendered to the process, and stayed faithful and patient. Well, if you're not sure about that, let's think about the life of Job. (laughs) Job's a great character study. If you've ever done one, I'd encourage you to do one. He lived probably during the time of Abraham, although we don't really fully know when he lived. Job uh, was very prosperous. He had children. He had a lot of cattle, a lot of animals. Things in life, in Job's life, were really good. And some kind of situation where Satan comes and he visits God. Again, I, a lot of questions about that. We can talk about that another time. But there's this interaction between Satan and God And Satan basically says to God, Job only worships you because he's prosperous. Job only worships you because he has good things in his life. And so now what God uh, does is he says, okay, I'll give you permission to take some of those good things away. And so Satan's putting this to test. It's an interesting thought. Nobody serves God uh, for who he is, but what he or she can get from God. It's a pretty good question. It's actually a question maybe you want to ask yourself right now. Do you act in obedience only when things go your way? That's what basically Satan is laying out. That's basically what Job is being put to the test to find out. And so in a series of four messengers, uh, one right after another, Job learns that he loses all his cattle, all his sheep, his servants, even losing his own kids. And this great torment now has come upon Job's life. In the midst of all this torment, this suffering that comes along, he doesn't doesn't renounce God. He continues to stay steadfast and faithful. Although he had difficulty, he, he stays faithful in that. So Satan comes back to God and says, well, the only reason Job's doing that now is because we didn't do anything to Job. And so God says, go ahead, you can do something to Job. You can't take his life, but go ahead. And so now boils come all over Job's body. Now his friends, even his wife, come to him and say, renounce God, renounce God. God has done this to you. You need to renounce him. And in the midst of that, Job, he, 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 he's suffering. He's complaining. He's upset. He, he, he has uh, all these things that are happening to him, but he does not renounce God. He goes along with, with kind of the way that some of the, the psalmists have where he says, God, I don't get it, I don't understand. He, he cries out, he, he does those things, but yet he will not renounce God because of his steadfast and his patience that James <coughs> uses him as an example. And then James does what we might see kind of as odd. He adds one more thing onto this kind of list for what we're to do. And he adds on, he says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. It might seem really odd, doesn't quite fit into the the, the pattern of what James is saying, be steadfast and be patient, but uh, I think I've kind of picked up over the last few years, just as I'm watching life and society, seeing how, how important this is, what James is saying, in the midst of this tension of living. Now what James is not talking, he's not talking about absolute truth, he's not talking about God's word, he's talking about how we approach truthfulness. And how we approach truthfulness is important to James because in the midst of this time of waiting, we can tend to either not want to say what is true, or we can tend to try to say things that are true that we don't even know that are true because we want to give them comfort in the moment. Okay, I mean, again, how many times have, have we interacted with a young child who was fearful and afraid and we're like, everything's going to be okay, everything's going to be fine. What are we doing in that moment? We're, we're giving them words of comfort, but we're telling them kind of things that aren't really true. Because we don't know that to be true. One of the things I learned even going on, on mission trip is when you would leave you would see these people and you, you felt so connected to them and you wanted to see them again and you tell them, oh, I can't wait to see you again. But the danger is, is that I don't know if I'm going to see them again. I don't know if I'm going to return. I don't know if they'll be there. I don't know if that's going to work out. And so I don't want to say something that isn't true because ultimately I want to say something that I know is absolutely true and I don't want to confuse the two. In fact, I think as believers in this time of tension of waiting, we need to be very, very concerned about our truthfulness. We need to make sure our yes is yes and our no is no. And we should not say something that we don't know is true and act like it is true. It's one of the reasons why I don't, I don't say anything on social media. I mean, you can look around, you can find things, you might see me complain about refs, but that's a different story. Uh, I'm not gonna say anything, because I know that at some point, I'll stand back up here on this pulpit, and I wanna be able to speak truth from God's word, and I don't want you to see something that I think I might think is true, and you confuse those things. Because this is God's word, and God's word is true. And although I might have opinions, I might have ideas, I might have thoughts, I don't want to put out there and say, how do those two things work? For the last four or five years, one of the saddest things I've had to interact with as a former youth pastor is students now that are in their 20s and their 30s, and they're looking at people that were influential in their lives when they were in middle school and high school, and and now seeing what they're posting or saying, and saying, Pastor, how how does that reconcile? How, How do I put that together? They're the ones that were told, told, telling me this and now they're saying all this stuff over here. It, it just doesn't make sense. And so we have to be extremely careful that our yes be yes and our no be no. That I don't want to confuse those things. So I'd encourage you that if you don't know something, don't act like you do it. And if you know something that isn't true, definitely don't act like it's true. And it's okay for you not to know everything. And it's okay for you to say, well, I just want to share my thoughts and my opinions. At least at that point you're saying they're your thoughts and your opinions. And you're not acting like you're standing on some authority that you know everything. Because you don't. <laughs> I don't. I remember one of the, the pastors that I uh, really respected and honored. And really gave me a lot of great wisdom. told me, don't write anything until you hit 50. Because you don't know anything. And at least 50, you at least have some level of humility and grace that when you do start to speak, you realize you don't know everything. And that really hit me because I really thought I knew everything when I was in my 20s. I mean, I thought I knew how to fix the whole world. I knew how to surely fix the people in my lives. I knew how to fix all the church's problems. I knew how to fix everybody. And now as I'm starting to get a little closer to that 50, I'm realizing, man, I knew nothing. And I don't want my, my yes to be a no, and I don't want my no to be yes. At the same time, don't be afraid to speak truth. I'm not telling you to be afraid of truth. God's word is truth. It's absolute. It's for all places, all cultures, all time. You can point people to it. You can lead people to it. You can share it. There's good times to share truth. Your yes should be yes. But don't try to confuse them. We'll try to, try, try to say things that aren't. And so <clears throat> we want to make sure that we should not act truthful when we're not sure what is truth. And even worse, we should not act truthful when we know it's a lie. In all these things, I think James is trying to remind us there's going to be tensions. And in that tension, we need to be steadfast. So what do we do? Well, just three simple things. Set your focus on Christ's return. That should be an encouragement to you. That should be also a reminder to you that that we are not made for this world. This world is not our home. Not only do we set that, but then we stay patient or steadfast in all seasons. Just like the prophets and Job, in good times and in bad, I will stick to the calling that God has called and placed on my life. And then finally, we should respect truth in what we say and how we speak and if we don't know then don't act like we do and if we do know then don't act like we don't let our yes be yes and our no be no so we call up the worship team as we have in the past few months we we just want to take this time just to allow God's spirit to move and to work what's so uh, amazing about this moment and this day is that God knew what this passage would be and God knew that you'd be here today and God takes his spirit and he aligns it with his will and his purpose And he moves us, he convicts us, he challenges us, he encourages us.